Hey, Jesse, there's something you want to get off your chest, right? Yeah, yeah, there is. I hope you'll just um just let me speak for a moment because there's been like stuff online has been really crazy this week, and I just I I gotta sort of just say some stuff. So like we obviously live in like a really tumultuous era. There's like all this sort of talk of cancel culture and discourse and free speech and who gets to talk when and like this last week there's just there's something I want to say that I've been too scared to say because of sort of online mobs and the potential people who go after my job. Um, there's this whole discourse surrounding American cheese. There's just, please just let me talk. Don't laugh. Okay. There's this idea that if you're sort of a, an adult, if you're in your thirties established career, you can't order American cheese. You can't put it on a sandwich. You can't have craft singles in your fridge. And this makes no goddamn sense. It is all posing. It's all elite. It's sort of like everyone who went to the same 25 elite schools in, in mainstream journalism telling us what kind of cheese we can eat. You have people going through, you know, other people's Instagram pages trying to flag photos of American cheese, trying to call their boss. I've been getting these egg and cheese sandwiches lately from this one place. It's, it's, I don't want to get into sort of the nitty gritty technical details, but it's focaccia, scrambled eggs, caramelized onions, and one slice of American cheese. And there's people who want my head over this. There's people who want me to never be able to work again because I put a slice of goddamn American cheese on my sandwich, who think that makes me some sort of like kid or not to be taken seriously. This is what happens when elite discourse is sort of two up its own ass and curdles and just becomes unrecognizable to the country at large. People eat American cheese. It's right in the name, American cheese. Just because it's processed, that doesn't mean it's bad. It tastes good. There's certain kinds of food American cheese goes well with. Fire me, cancel me. I don't care. I just had to say that, Katie. And I hope, I hope this won't sort of bounce back on you and you won't have people pressuring you to stop doing the podcast with me because I just, I had to say this. Jesse... I'm glad you got this off your chest. As you know, this is a safe space. And I have to tell you something. I have a confession to make, too. Go for it. Are you ready for it? Yeah, I think so. I have craft singles in my fridge right now. Oh, my God. This is this is what I mean. This is the cycle of silence. I was, I thought like we were talking about potentially the end of our partnership. Because you, I think, tell me, I don't want to portray myself as a hero per se, but don't you think that if I hadn't had the courage to say what I just said, you wouldn't have had the courage to speak up either? I mean, you're right. We need people like you to to take a stand on these hot button issues like is American cheese actually cheese for the rest of us to be able to come out and say, you know what? I don't care if it's cheese or not. I don't care if it's made of plastic. I don't care if it's technically vegan cheese and 90% chemicals. American cheese is good on a fucking breakfast sandwich. There's this whole discourse that cheese represents some sort of objective reality out there in the world. And this is sort of what the like the white dude, quote unquote, enlightenment discourse, Steven Pinker, Sam Harris, like they want to choose what is and isn't cheese, what gets to define itself as cheese. That's bullshit, man. Cheese is something that goes on eggs between croissant rolls or focaccia that goes in your mouth and tastes good. Isn't that it? We get to decide what cheese is. I agree with you. But counterpoint. Why the fuck are you eating a breakfast sandwich on focaccia? Because, okay, there, maybe we should save this for a patrons-only episode, but what would you have me eat it off instead as you speak so judgmentally at me? An English muffin. No! Oh, God. Podcast <laughs> over. Look, look, American cheese on an English muffin. That is the that is the multicultural <laughs> breakfast food that we all need. Are, are you like a 55-year-old newly empty nester trying to lose weight? Why are you putting... Why are you eating egg and cheeses on an English muffin? Well, that's all I can get out here on my island. We don't have bagels here. We don't have Jew foods like bagels. <laughs> they haven't imported Jews onto this island yet. <laughs> they haven't. It's a Navy town. Katie, what is the name of the podcast that just ended over the co-host disagreement on breakfast sandwiches? You are listening to Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single, and this week we're going to talk about the reaction to the Harper's letter, specifically one journalist who has been getting harassed over it, and my alleged role in that. It will be a spicy conversation, not as spicy as the hot sauce I put on my breakfast sandwich, but pretty spicy. First, uh, Katie, do you mind if I just do a couple sort of housekeeping things? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so first of all, as always, you can reach us at blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. I think I've repeatedly left off the podcast part of that name. It's blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. Email us your 
opinions anytime as long as they're good uh we're on reddit reddit.com slash r slash blocked and reported twitter at the bar pod you can find us everywhere uh also definitely check out our patreon patreon.com slash blocked and reported thank you so much to our patreon subscribers we just did a i thought a very entertaining episode about the harper's open letter this is sort of a spiritual sequel to this but it will be self-contained one other thing katie you will recall that i have a certain obligation pertaining to one of our stretch goals right uh, I, I am very familiar with this. Listeners may recall that I agreed to do a rap about the replication crisis. This was uh, a stretch goal number that I thought would take us months to get to because we are so beloved and have no enemies whatsoever. We reached that mark quicker than we expected. So let me get official here. I am going to release this album, which will <laughs> this album. I'm going to release this track, which will change the face of hip hop forever and turn it into something grotesque and horrific by the end of October. That's the deadline I'm setting for myself. I apologize that it's going to take a little time, but I would, I want to like. For me, making this not be a literal war crime is going to be such an uphill battle. So I'd actually like some time to uh, figure it out. So are you going to um, make some beats for this too? Or is this going to be like just like a spoken word rap about the replication crisis? I actually had a couple people email me and offer to make me beats, which, which was awesome. Wow. Uh, but I, I haven't responded to one of them yet. I'll get back to you. Uh, I think you know who you are. So – my perfect candidate for someone to produce this beat for me would have to have this really weird combination of characteristics and background. They would need to A, know about hip hop and know how to make beats, B, have some background in psychology and the replication crisis, and C, know a little something about podcasting. This would have to be some sort of like very good wizard who knows all these different things and has all these different skills. So I think I found someone like that. I don't want to reveal anything about them. If you're not a podcast nerd, you don't get the joke. I'm absolutely demolishing right now. A very good wizard is likely to help me out on this track. I'm going to leave it at that for now. I guess this is a reference to the podcast, Very Good Wizards. Yep, exactly. Okay, I got that. I thought at first I thought you were going to say it was going to be Coleman Hughes, but I guess he's probably too big for us now at this point anyway. I got one of the guys from the Daily Stormer, the guy who created the <laughs> Echo Sound. <laughs> I believe it in collaborations across ideological lines. So it'll be, um, yeah, I uh, know I'm, I'm legit a little nervous and excited to actually do this very dumb thing. Thank you so much to our patrons who forced me to do it. End of October. I will have it to our $5 and up patrons by then. So that's the answer for when it'll come out. I hope to do it sooner. Might not be able to. Katie, should we move on to the show? Yes, let's move on. What should we talk about? Oh, Jesse. Okay, well, this will be, as you mentioned, episode two on the letter. There has now been a second letter in response to the first letter. So let's just start with a quick overview. Uh, do you want to explain it? Yeah, I mean, so Katie and I were on this letter published in Harper's earlier this week that was just a full-throated defense of liberal values and sort of freedom of speech, you know, not just sort of the law, but but how we should treat people when we disagree with them, what people should or shouldn't get fired over. As some people pointed out, it was somewhat general and didn't get into specific specifics because they wanted to get a lot of signatories on there. And there were luminaries among the signatories. We were sort of bottom tier, but it was also like Salmon Rushdie, Margaret Atwood, Steven Pinker, Noam Chomsky, other big names. So, And one very famous podcast host. Katie Hertzog, the only person I believe listed as podcast host after I asked him to change my <laughs> away from that. That's a story we told on the Patreon version. So check that out. Um, yeah. So I, my memory is fuzzy, Katie, but this, this letter was just sort of published and everyone was like, yes, free speech is great. And then the internet moved on, right? Oh, yeah. That's totally what happened. Nobody was mad about a anodyne milquetoast letter uh, supporting the principles of free speech at all. It was boring day on the internet. Job well done. <laughs> Let's move on. No, there was a... A whole blow up and I, I tweeted very angrily basically all day Tuesday. I had like a full blown spend all day mad on Twitter experience. You had a Jesse fit. I had a Jesse fit and I'd been better in recent years about not having Jesse fits, but that part of my brain still sometimes latches back onto the internet. But I don't know what, so where should we start with this? Cause there's a few different threads to pull on, right? Yeah. We should probably just start with, uh, the hate crime that you committed after the publication of the letter. Yes. So after the letter was published, um, I don't really know how to pronounce her name. Let's call her Emily. Emily Vanderwaffe, uh, she's a transgender woman who writes for Vox. She's a critic at large. She publicly said that she had emailed her bosses because Matt Iglesias' name was on the letter too. 
And Matt is a also an employee at, at Vox. Yeah, and also one of the founders. So in terms of sort of the institutional hierarchy, like no one could say that Emily has any real power over Matt, to be fair. He wasn't going to get in trouble. But she did. She emailed Matt's bosses for signing this letter, which I thought was like sort of a, a ridiculous demonstration of exactly the points the letter was about. Like the letter had nothing offensive. Emily and some other people online sort of decided in unison the letter was transphobic because J.K. Rowling's name and to a lesser extent your name and my name were on it. Emily described it as sort of anti-transphobic dog whistles. Dog whistles was the term that kept coming up. No one could point to anything in the letter that was remotely transphobic because it wasn't. And it had at least three trans signatories. I'm not I'm not being unfair here, right? I'm not missing anything. I had no idea that the letter was about trans issues at all. Um, when I signed the letter or when the letter was published, the words transgender, trans, non-binary, none of it, it was not included. It was not, as far as I could tell, uh, about trans stuff. The only way to hear a dog whistle there was if you were looking for dog whistles, I suppose, because they certainly weren't uh, apparent to, I think, any of us who signed the letter. Oh, and she said we should mention here that in her – in the – the letter that she wrote and then posted to Twitter to her bosses, her complaint about Matt signing the letter was that it made her feel less safe. And this is something we've talked about before. This is something that continues to come up. This idea that words are violence, that the, uh, the, that the actions of an employee of a coworker signing an open letter could somehow make someone feel less safe. I don't totally understand the logic there, but apparently this is how Emily felt, or this is how Emily said that she felt. Yes. At the end of the letter, she did say she didn't want to get Matt in trouble. I do not think Emily was trying to get Matt fired or anything like that. The problem is if you don't want to get a colleague in trouble, you do not write a letter to their boss and then post it online. And this is the opposite of not trying to get your colleague in trouble. And trouble here can just mean reputational damage. It can mean an online dogpile and so on. So um, is there any more background? Should we just jump into my part in this clusterfuck? Yeah, let's just jump in. Jesse, what did you do? So the day the letter came out, I posted about it on Twitter. I just said I was proud to have my name on it. I was not going to make a big thing about it. I, I fell into a Twitter wormhole because immediately there was like the exact sort of Twitter outrage that always ensnares me because I often have no self-control on Twitter. So I ended up hunched over my laptop like a crazy person just tweeting angrily about this all day, like finding – well, I say finding, but every bad faith response was served up to me because that's the nature of these algorithms. They serve you whatever will make you respond most emotionally. So from my point of view, I'm just getting batted around from outrageous bad faith response to outrageous bad faith response. I can't stop responding. I can't stop screen capping. I was just like, just mad online, as the kids say. Right. And I think one thing that we should note here is that the vast majority, maybe almost all of the criticism about the letter had nothing to do with the content of the letter. It was all about the signatories to the letter. Specifically, J.K. Rowling, and then, as you mentioned, to a lesser extent, well, you, basically. I'm unfortunately you. not important enough to be... <laughs> to, you're, a podca- you're, a pro- you're a professional podcaster. So I'm, the, I'm the only professional podcaster. Um, yes, it was, it was a combination of the signatories, which doesn't really make sense because the text is the text, but also this, this new imaginary bad faith reading that it was transphobic. Um, so... So in the course of being mad online, I screen capped Emily's tweet and basically dryly said, like, the response to this letter about sort of the closing of public intellectual discourse was for this person to report her colleague for signing it. I thought it was ridiculous. And then I tweeted a couple other times about basically how I I didn't think it was good faith for her to say that she wasn't trying to get Iglesias in trouble, given her actual actions. Again, she didn't go to Matt privately and say, I I have some qualms about this. She made a public thing of it. Okay. That was Tuesday. Fast forward to Thursday. Thursday morning, I wake up and um, I forget when in the day it happened, but a couple people told me I was literally a trending topic on Twitter, which is... Nobody wants that. No. It's never like you're a trending topic because everyone has talked about how great you are, in my experience. It's more like... People are really pissed at you. So so what happened was this. Emily did a long tweet storm describing how she had been hit by this awful wave of internet harassment. That includes death threats. That includes rape threats. It includes a lot of coverage from right-wing media. The one person she sort of mentioned by name, I believe, was me. She said that the initial wave of of responses to what she wrote were civil and fine, but then that when I tweeted about it, she was hit with a wave of harassment. 
the story instantly among progressive media types, or some of them at least, on Twitter became, I was the cause of Emily's harassment. Did In she retros- actually call you out by name? Yes, she called okay. me out by name. For reasons I'll get into, I, I regret that I took part in this pylon. I really do, and I'll, I'll explain why. But first, this was a nationwide pylon, mostly driven by conservatives. I'm, I'm going to be a nerd because I just want to make this point clearly in terms of the idea that I was the cause of this. I, I checked the people who had, quote, retweeted her. Here are some of their names and their followings. Keep in mind, I, I myself do have a big platform. I have 63,000 followers on Twitter. Here are some of the people who directly, quote, retweeted her. Rita Panahi, 250,000 followers. Ian Miles Chong, 186.8 thousand. Jim Hansen, 82.5 thousand. Michael Tracy, 155,000. John Aravosis, 106.5 thousand. Mark Hemingway, 71.4 thousand. Jonah Goldberg, who has 343.9 thousand followers, also quote retweeted one of her follow-up tweets. In addition to all that attention, there were two stories about her on Fox News's website. Jesse, you forgot someone. Who? Katie Herzog. Oh, how many do you have? Uh, right now I have um, 45,000. So that means that I am one third of a better person than you, right? I think it means that you're one third of a worse person than me. 50, oh no, 50%. I'm 50% better than you. Okay. okay. So <laughs> in addition to your monstrous act of responding to this thing everyone else was responding to, and mine, and all those people I just mentioned, there were two stories on Fox News, both of which embedded her tweet. I also did a piece for reason that... Um, she was just sort of mentioned at the end. It also embedded her tweet. So I did that too. But also two pieces on Fox News. Also, as she mentioned, Breitbart and The Daily Caller and The Daily Signal, another right wing news website I think she didn't mention, all wrote about her. She got a huge amount of incredibly nasty attention. And the most of the write ups and most of the big name Twitter accounts mentioning this were conservatives. The idea that rather than being one part of a pylon, which I was, and which, again, I regret for reasons I'll explain, that I was the cause of this is the kind of thing you can only claim if, A, you don't do a minute of fact-checking, and, B, you have something against me. Emily and a lot of the people who circulated this rumor that I was the cause of this do not like some of the work I've done on youth gender dysphoria. I was sort of the go-to villain because she was a trans woman getting horribly harassed. Well, and you were on the letter. So I think it looked like to them, it looked like this sort of hypocrisy. This letter didn't mention cancel culture, but it was sort of tangentially about cancel culture. And here you were apparently canceling her. Right. If you can call what I did canceling her, right, this is, and this is always the semantic thing because I was criticizing her strongly for narking on a friend, for calling the manager on Matt. So you didn't you know, call is, for her firing. Uh, you no. didn't dox her. You didn't say that she should never be able to work again. You criticized her, and there is some semantic debate over this. What is the what is the um, the line between critique and cancellation? Uh, Damon Linker actually had a good a good thread about this today. And he said, criticism is, you're wrong and here's why. Cancellation is, you can't say that and I'm going to try and get you fired or considered a, mo- a moral monster for daring to say it. And I, I, to me, I think that's an apt description of the, uh, the difference between the two. Yeah. And, and to be clear, I didn't just criticize her. By, by screen capping the letter, I was sort of holding up her up for ridicule, which is something people do online all the time. I mean, um, I did worse. I didn't screen cap her. I quote tweeted her. That's right. <laughs> Which, in the hierarchy of these weird arbitrary system where sometimes it's good and it's a dunk if it's a good guy doing it. So, you know, it, um, I did, did I mention Shapiro show too? Cause that might be the biggest. Did I mention oh, that? Oh yeah. You did not. Ben Shapiro. He is the seventh biggest podcast on Apple podcasts. He also devoted, it looked, I didn't listen to it. I just, I screen went through on the YouTube, the YouTube old man. Uh, he, it looked like his whole episode was devoted to this. I saw the screenshots of sort of the fallout. Um, all of which is to say, one of the principles and norms I've tried to sort of promote is like if everyone's getting piled on about something, you, the person deciding whether to join in, shouldn't. There was no universe in which Emily was not going to receive a huge amount of pushback and abuse as soon as she published what she published. Right. It's definitely possible that my contribution made that worse. And in retrospect, I feel bad about that. And what made me really feel bad about that was when I realized that there are times when people literally have nervous breakdowns or kill themselves because they're the center of these pylons. It doesn't happen much. But like, if that happened, would I then come on this podcast and be like, well, I was just one of many people doing it. Like it's, there was, I added nothing good to the world and in fact made the world a little bit of a worse place by contributing to this. And it, it just, 
what gets me the most is like directly diverged from my own stated values. I was a, I was sort of a hypocritical asshole about this, but that is a separate question from whether it makes sense to take this national level conservative outrage event and, and pretend that I was sort of a, a major cause of it rather than one of many people who contributed to it. Right. Um, so uh, things are about to get a little awkward here because I'm about to do something that you probably shouldn't do, which is call bullshit on a little on a, on a couple of Emily's claims. Um, so here's one of Emily's tweets in response to this firestorm. Um, this was on July 9th. She tweeted, the following is the last thing I will say on this on Twitter. These two days have been hell. Death threats, rape threats, invitations to commit suicide, constant misgendering, etc. on every platform. The only way I can avoid it is to leave the internet entirely. I can't sleep. Now, I have been in the midst of a Twitter pylon. It is incredibly stressful. I feel bad for her. It is fucking hard. That said, I looked at her replies. I searched the words fuck. I searched the words rape. I search the words death. I search the words kill. I search the words die. It is totally possible that she is getting sort of back-channel death threats, back-channel rape threats. It's possible. If I were her, I would have posted the screenshots. They are not in her mentions. In fact, when you search the word fuck, the vast majority of the fucks are directed at Jesse Single, not <laughs> Emily. As they should be. And there is also an out outpouring of support for her like specifically like blue checkmark journalist support for her people saying yeah. fuck jesse single he's a monster you don't deserve this yeah i agree maybe she didn't deserve it but i am not seeing the evidence that people threatened to kill her or threatened to rape her I, people definitely misgendered her that's for sure and it's possible that she considers that violence um from the letter that she posted to that she wrote to her editors it seems like she might feel unsafe in situations that the average person would not be made to feel unsafe. But there is no evidence, at least on publicly available channels, that she re received a flood of, date of death and rape threats. And the reason I look this up is because people say people frequently claim to have gotten death and rape threats. And then when you search their mentions, they're frequently full of shit. And I'm skeptical of this because I never get death and rape threats. Never. I get people putting up stickers of my name around Seattle. Um, I get people writing, you know, fuck Herzog on the door of my office. Her I, fuck Herzog, which is even more. It's hurtful. even worse. Yes. Um, yeah. I get it right, people. I get people making flyers about me. And yet... I somehow don't get rape and death threats. And if I did get rape and death threats, I would immediately take screenshots and post them. So Emily has posted no receipts. People have asked her for the receipts. She has not supplied them. And maybe you can say, all right, that's victim blaming. You got, you can't question the victim or whatever. Well, I'm going to question the victim. I would like to see the evidence. I, it's Once again, it is entirely possible that these came through her email or through her DMs, but she hasn't posted any screenshots. She posted some screenshots of people misgendering her and being rude. I think that's bad. I don't think people should do it. I do not support misgendering people. I support people's right to misgender people because I support the principles of free speech, but I don't support the, like the act itself. It's unkind. It's unnecessary. Don't fucking do it. But why would she post those screenshots and not screenshots of people telling her that they're going to kill her? I just I find it a little bit hard to believe. And I've talked to a lot of women who who are who are constantly online. Some have received you know, the occasional rape or death threat. It definitely happens. I've also talked to men who've received these, these, uh, who've received threats of violence. Um, it's real. It happens. The internet can be a nasty place, but it can also be a place where people lie constantly and are not fact checked. And there's one, there's one other, other claim that she made. She also tweeted. Right-wing blogs like Daily Caller and Breitbart have written pieces calling for my firing using YouTube screen caps of me designed to make me look unattractive or masculine. Their readers swore me. They do not believe in free speech. They believe in free speech for them. I'm not going to defend the Daily Caller or Breitbart, and I think it's totally possible that their readers swarmed her. That said, I read the articles that the Daily Caller and Breitbart wrote about Emily, and they never called for her firing. That is just not true. We'll post we'll post uh, links of them in the notes, but that's just not fucking true. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, the the second part that jumped out at me when she claimed that Daily Caller and Breitbart 
call for her to be fired because because I've I've had run-ins with Breitbart in particular. They they actually posted a front-page photo of me looking incredibly unattractive, taken from a YouTube uh, still or like a video stream still. Uh, That's the I same thing they did with her. Yeah, and they probably in my case I don't think I look masculine. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I definitely think they do try to make you look as unattractive as possible. And I think for a trans woman that does have it's it's different. It's more hurtful. Like I right. I'm I'm, goof, I'm goofy looking whatever. I don't it's much different if you've transitioned. But um it is not Breitbart or Daily Caller style to be like, we call on Vox to fight. They understand their role in the ecosystem. Their role in the ecosystem is to gin up outrage about liberal outlets. It didn't make sense to me when she said that they tried to get her fired or called for her firing because that's just not what they do. And I, too, read them and it's just like it's not there. I don't I don't know what to tell people. I, uh, one of them also had an archive, meaning an earlier snapshot of the website. It doesn't appear that ever happened, so I don't know. She could have gotten confused, or maybe she's saying the the fans of the sites called for her to be fired, or maybe she's just lying. That's another possibility. But I don't. I do, the reason I don't think she's lying about the harassment is like, okay, whatever you've been through. Look, we've we've gotten some shit from the left. Breitbart is not a pleasant website to have blow you up. Neither is the Daily Caller. She Absolutely. had both, and two Fox News articles. Neither of us has ever been in for that. Occam's razor to me suggests that she's gotten an outpouring of harassment and sprinkled in there are some rape and death threats. Don't don't you think Occam's razor suggests the number of rape and death threats is not zero? I think that it's possible she got these. I also think that if she got these, she would have posted them. If she's posting screen caps of people being rude to her and misgendering her, why wouldn't she also post screen caps of her being uh, being threatened? It just I mean, the, the one time that I got a threat of physical violence was when someone um, someone emailed me and said they were going to spit on me. What did I do? I immediately posted it on Twitter. And I think I just I think that oftentimes these claims are overblown. And I'm not saying it's just her. I think a lot of people use sort of the mantle of death threats and rape threats, knowing that nobody's going to question them because it makes them look like more more like victims than they actually are. And it is like, as you said, she was covered by right wing press. We don't actually know what happened in the back channel. Maybe these came through DMs. Maybe these came through her email address, but they did not come through Twitter. Okay, but well, a couple of things. First of all, I mean, it sounds like we agree on this, but like, it's hard, especially for a trans woman, it's hard to have a worse outcome harassment-wise than this sort of all these sites. Two Fox News articles, Breitbart, Daily Signal, Daily Caller, and Ben Shapiro show. Um, I bet Ben Shapiro just made fun of her. I doubt he was like, listeners go harass her. But you don't need to do that. Just like you know by – this again is why I shouldn't have contributed because some asshole is going to potentially contribute. I just think with all that attention, with literally millions of people suddenly having flashed up on their screen a trans woman who they think is like pro-cancel culture or whatever, the odds of her having received zero death or rape threats is are close to zero. Now – as for I mean, she did post- say she did say on every platform, death threats, rape threats, invitations to commit suicide, constant misgendering on every platform. Well, not the one that I'm looking at that has you know, that is easily easy to publicly search. Right. The uh, the other thing, though, is if she did receive rape and death threats, you you can't threaten people like that. That's illegal. So it may well be if she's gotten the authorities involved and this is like an ongoing criminal investigation thing, she's not going to post them. Also. Most of my threats of physical violence have come from uh, other journalists. Thank right. you, Inav Moskowitz and a random BuzzFeed guy who did apologize. I'm only blowing up Inav because he never – he doubled down when called on it. It's just insane. Um, but I could imagine if I got like a serious legitimate seeming death threat, it might be scary enough that I wouldn't want to post it. Because like let's say they, they found her address or they found some specifics about her life or even it's just particularly demeaning. Like trans women do get a lot of shit online. So – uh, I mean, I believe that, I believe that there. I believe she was misgendered. I believe that there was a lot of harassment. I believe that this experience totally, totally sucked. But I am going to withhold my uh, acceptance of this narrative until I see some evidence. Okay. Yeah, I, I think we disagree with that. I don't disagree with you that people exaggerate harassment because I've I've seen that, and I also think like this this narrative of like I sicked my followers on her makes it so that you you can't criticize anyone because then you're sicking your it's also like right. uh, so all the people 
in progressive media who are complaining about me doing this, they spend 12 hours a day doing just that. They screenshot people, they quote retweet people, they're constantly trying to dunk on people. This is purely sort of a cool kids table in group out group thing. If I had done the exact same behavior to a right winger, it would have been celebrated as a dunk. It's also curious to me that the same journalists who are now accusing you of inciting harassment and death and rape threats um, never defend you when other people are harassing you or never defend me uh, when people are harassing me. That's because – yeah, but it's the same that's as the free speech thing. They're right, not against harassment. They just don't like us. Um, yeah, they, exactly. They're only against harassment when it happens to their friend. Yes. there There is – there are very few people – who are completely in a consistent good faith way against harassment as defined as screen capping someone who could come in for harassment or scrutiny, unwelcome scrutiny otherwise. We should also consider if we actually made a rule against quote retweeting and screen capping people, you know, would you be able to criticize anyone? I think in my case, that's a cop out to be like, well, what? then I wouldn't be allowed to criticize her. But who, the, who, who cares if I can't criticize her? It was obviously the case she was going to get criticized and she got a big dose of both you know, fair criticism that probably felt like harassment because it was coming from 5,000 people at once. I've been there in situations where what I've received was not harassment, but there was so much of it, it feels horrible. And I do think she got some legitimate harassment in there. Um, I should also be clear that like going forward, I've said this before, if anyone on Twitter sends me a link of someone who follows me harassing someone, meaning not disagreeing with them, but slurring them or in the case of a trans person misgendering them, I will just block them on the spot. I don't care. I don't want followers like that. You, A, are just making life worse for someone. Emily, I disagree with what she did. She did not deserve whatever she got. It's The internet never delivers the quote-unquote right amount of punishment. And even if you're right and the harassment wasn't as bad as she claimed, it's just a wave of bullshit, and it's not the way to make the world a better place. And I do apologize. I think I played a marginal role in this along with a million other people. I don't think I'm the villain, but I, I shouldn't have done it. There was no gain to do it. I should have come on the podcast and talked about it with you and written about it for reason, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yes, all that said, there is a degree of profound bullshit with sort of the online Twitter cool kids journalist table. We, we keep calling them blue checks. I mean, that includes a lot of people. But but these people, they're, they're sort of hacks with regard to their own values about harassment and what you're allowed to do online. Like some of them have talent as journalists, but – it's this very clickish in-group, out-group thing. And what's weird about this, as one of someone pointed out to me on Twitter, is like a lot of these people are not in any way relevant anymore. Like the cool kids table is is purely a construct of pretending to have sway on Twitter and being able to dogpile people on Twitter, right? Right. Pretending that Gawker still matters or your status as a Gawker alum still matters. Yeah, like one of the dudes I I stupidly and briefly tangled with on this was this guy, Tom Skoka. He's the politics editor at Slate, which is like a, in this desiccated journalistic landscape, a vaunted position. But like, you know, this is a group of people who were part of a, a, a counter movement in journalism that was important when Gawker was big 10 years ago or whatever. They are scattered all over the place. They've been batted around by the same shitty structural forces as everyone else, but they think they're still important. Most of them are not. There are people within that group who I respect. I worked with one. He was my editor for sort of online culture pieces. He was a great editor. Um, these these guys are assholes. Like, they really are. If you, if you ever disagree with them or try to talk to them about anything— after Skoka complained that I blocked him and therefore wasn't in favor of free speech or whatever, I invited him on the podcast. Of course, he refused because he's a hack. He could not actually discuss his views on when screen capping is and isn't good, what his problems with the letters are. They only know how to communicate in dunks and in bad faith. And- I mean, th- this is just another one of those cases where like, it's always been really sort of remarkable to me that – People come after you and I who actually have fairly progressive, actually, I would say very progressive views on particularly trans stuff. I mean, we, I think we, uh, disagree with, with some actions of the most online trans activists for sure, but we, both are in favor of trans people having access to healthcare. Um, neither one of us are in favor of bathroom bills. I think we have our, our stances on this are probably to the left of, of most Americans. And yet, instead of going after, say, the Ben Shapiro's or the Daily Callers or the Federalists or whatever, these people come for us. Why? Why? It's the cool. It's the cool kids thing. They wanted to right. find who gets to be at the cool kids table. The cool kids table doesn't matter. Is purely a Twitter construct these days. Skoka does have obviously a gatekeeping position, but most of them don't have like real jobs. We we don't have real jobs. We had to right. start our own real job. But um, yeah, they they. they 
if they said Ben Shapiro, you can't sit at the cool kids table, Ben Shapiro would be like, fuck you. And I say that as someone who disagrees with Ben Shapiro on everything. Right. I mean, and that's the thing about cancel culture is that you can only be canceled by your ideological allies, not your ideological enemies. So there's kind of, I guess there's no point in going after the forces who actually disagree with you and have way more power than these two dumb podcasters who you're listening to right now. Instead, they turn their sights on us, you know, and there's also, I think there's this element of the narcissism of small differences where these, these tiny disagreements that we have, and I'm not even sure that we actually have many disagreements with uh, with most of these people when it comes to trans issues and no that's the whole thing that's why they that's why they won't like i I don't know if you do this but if one of these people comes after me on twitter i will this happened yesterday i'll say can you point me to the thing i've written that you disagree with that made you think i have terrible views on this usually i never hear another peep from them as long as i specify don't don't just link me to what someone else said tell me what you think that's because they haven't read my work a lot of the time or they give no indication they have and this when i call them hacks i mean that in a very specific way that they don't even know anything about the subjects they are pining about and and getting on a moral soapbox about right so i i did a better job of staying out of the fray than you um and mostly i think because i have found this whole thing to be like very hilarious i mean i i i feel I feel bad for Emily if she feels harassed. I don't think people should be harassing her. If she's getting actual no. death and rape threats, don't do that. It's fucking bad. Even if you think what she did was ridiculous, by harassing her, you're 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 shooting yourself in the foot. I think the, right. the real reason not to harass her is she's a human being. But even if right. you are an asshole who doesn't view her as a human being, you have made this story about her harassment rather than her actions. Right. Um, so I was mostly uh, above the fray when it came to this. And then yesterday evening, um, someone tagged me in a tweet and I, I don't remember the exact wording of the tweet, but it was within a, a larger discussion of the letter. And uh, someone was saying, you know, these people are so fucking transphobic. One of them is my old neighbor, Katie Herzog, tagged me. She's transphobic as fuck. And I should have put down my phone and walked away. But I was mad. I was mad because this was someone I know in my actual life. And I knew who it was. I, I recognized immediately who it was. This was someone who I uh, I lived on the other side of a duplex with for several years. Um, so I, I know this person. was a, a We were very friendly. We hung out. There was no sort of conflict. There was no transphobia on my part because the transphobia doesn't fucking exist. So I responded and I said, like, you know, uh, show me your evidence. Where's your evidence that I'm transphobic? And... Then I then I got petty about it and I quote tweeted this person um, and this this th- nobody harassed this person at all um, but people did push back and say like where's the evidence you know show me because that's the thing nobody has any evidence that I'm transphobic because I'm not fucking transphobic the evidence doesn't exist and so to see somebody who I know in my life who also said you know haha Katie was ousted from the queer community because she's so fucking transphobic which is not fucking true I was ousted from the queer community because I'm too fucking old um <laughs> And there's also no such thing as the queer community. Um, but I got really, I got mad about it. And so we had this like unpleasant back and forth where this person was saying that by virtue of signing, the, signing the letter was an act of transphobia. Defending, defending hate speech is an act of transphobia. I'm not sure where I have actually defended hate speech. I have defended the rights of people to say what they want without fear of losing their jobs. And yes, that does include things that other people would consider hate speech because I, do believe in the First Amendment. I do believe in free speech, even for people who I disagree with. That's the entire fucking point of the letter. Um, so we had this unpleasant back and forth, and then, and then this person DM'd me, and we had an even more unpleasant back and forth in the DMs, and it ended with them saying, calling, calling me a little demon fuck. <laughs> <laughs> But let's do let's do a role reversal here because I'm I'm much more online than you in this sense of getting in fights. But I bet you did not feel better after this exchange and did not feel like you got anything out of it, right? I deleted the whole thing. I like, yeah, I, yeah, I did not feel better about it. I felt I felt worse about it. I felt bad about quote tweeting this person and potentially, um, you know, putting them in a situation where they were going to get harassed. They didn't, unfortunately. My my reply gar- guy army is apparently unable to adequately harass people offline. So do better, guys. But um, but but I keep. It always comes back to that like Southern folksy saying. It's like what was it's like if you, the worst part about wrestling with a pig is you'll get covered in shit and the pig likes it. Right. 
Right. It's just like, I, I, this is the mistake I made the other day of like, um, again, it's different because I was quote unquote wrestling with like actual journalists acting in a, a pathetic hackish way. You were wrestling with a rando, but we got uh, a rando whose name on Twitter is little worm militia. <laughs> also, can I do, can I do one little bit of shtick? Yes. So this, this, um, apartment duplex, would you say it was LGBT friendly housing? You know what? It wasn't. It was actually just a house. So there were only two of them, and um, and the the household. Although this person at the time, I was not aware was LGBT. Katie, Katie, just just say yes. Yes, yes. Wasn't it maybe more of a biplex then? <laughs> okay, Jesse. Hey, <laughs> just trying to lighten it up a little bit. <laughs> oh man, I hate Twitter. So Jesse, so. Taking aside both of us being dumbasses on Twitter, which we should be better about that. Maybe one of our stretch goals should be like for $20,000 a month, we will resolve to no longer get in fights on Twitter. We will no longer quote tweet people or, or take screenshots. Um, but today we're recording this on Friday. Today, a letter in response to the letter was released on the internet. Yeah, it's called... A more specific letter on justice and open debate, and this was published in a uh, an outlet called The Objective, um, which I'd never heard of until today. Yeah, it's um, we'll include a link to, in the show notes as always. It, it's something it's sort of like the the famous scene in Contact where Jodie Foster is looking down at this alien planet, and being like, "No words should have sent a poet," or maybe she's looking at like a star system. Either way, this letter, which I I was leaked to me yesterday before it came out, is like amazing. If you want to understand the sorts of minds who view themselves as our enemies, even though, again, they can't really come up with stuff they disagree with us about, uh, like specifics, other than a lot of them are against free speech, won't say so they are. Um, just read this letter. It's like amazing. This letter that was against cancel culture was in many cases signed by people who had to remain anonymous because they could get in trouble with their workplace because of NDAs and so forth, which is like... Uh, Again, sort of our point is that you shouldn't have to fear signing something like this publicly and getting in trouble with your boss. That That's our side of the argument. Right. So I don't know how many signatories there are. Maybe there's exactly the same as there were on the first letter, 153. And like two dozen of them are anonymous. It just says like unlisted <laughs> or something like that, which is very, very ironic. It's like, yeah, we're, the, we're like you're you're afraid of retribution. And doesn't that tell you that maybe there is a problem with discourse and free speech in this country? Um, one of them, one and, of them was the wire cutter, which is like a Times, uh, like a, a product review site. Well, and also, like I love this sort of fake fragility. Like, do you really think in the present climate, if you sign a social justice letter, the New York Times is going to fire you? Like, get get the fuck out of here! Come on. Yeah, right. So our friend Leighton Woodhouse, who has a uh, has a, a new YouTube channel with uh, Zed Jelani called the Back Channel, that I recommend checking out. He posted. He pointed out on Twitter that it only got to the second paragraph for the first lies of this letter to come out, <laughs> um, and that that paragraph reads: "The signatories, many of them white, wealthy, and endowed with massive platforms, argue that they are afraid of being silenced, that so-called cancel culture is out of control, and that they fear for their jobs and the free exchange of ideas, even as they speak from one of the most prestigious magazines in the country." Nowhere in the letter did it say that the signatories were afraid of their jobs. Many of them were, yes, white. I am sure that some of them are very wealthy. J.K. Rowling signed the fucking letter and endowed with massive platforms. Yes, that's true. But no, I didn't sign the, re the letter because I was afraid of being fired. I can't get fired unless you want to fire me and then I'll just fire your ass right back. This is the most disingenuous part. Like Steven Pinker and Noam Chomsky. Look, there's some people on the letter who are, are in more precarious positions than we are. But this is the whole point. We're trying to defend other people's rights to have the freedom we have to spout off whatever bullshit we want. Right. There's a couple of other passages of this letter that I think are worth um, pointing out directly. So the third paragraph. This letter was spearheaded by Thomas Chatterton Williams, a black writer who believes, this is a quote, that racism at once persists and is also capable of being transcended, especially at an interpersonal level. Got him. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. That's, that's sick fuck. Yeah, how he said, dare he? He said we might be able to transcend. But this is like the sort of epistemic closure thing, right? Because hundreds, uh, not hundreds, I think dozens of people saw this and were like, oh, this makes sense. This is damning that Thomas Chatterton Williams, like probably 80% of the country, thinks racism can be overcome, especially interpersonally. Like, that is the most milquetoast statement imaginable. But to these people, that is incredibly controversial. Right. And then um, I think my favorite, my favorite line of the letter, although I did also uh, enjoy the entire paragraph devoted to you, although the, I do feel like that that's like 
that's Katie Herzog erasure. Anyway, uh, my, my favorite line of the, of the letter. The intellectual freedom of cis white intellectuals has never been under threat in mass, especially when compared to how writers from marginalized groups have been treated for generations. In fact, they have never faced serious consequences, only momentary discomfort. <laughs> Are they familiar with the Holocaust? Are they familiar with Stalin? This is just, it's the most ahistorical bullshit I've ever fucking read. Literally any sort of authoritarian revolutionary movement from the very bloody 20th century. Like, I, it's just insane that that... I had people on... Um, I briefly tweeted about this and then resolved to stay after the rest of the day because I don't want to lose another date of this bullshit, but um, it's insane. I mean, it's just... that Again, that's another thing where it's like, given how many people read this letter that nobody was like, that doesn't quite sound right. And I did... You know, I had people trying to, like, read that on Twitter, read that sentence in a more positive um, or, or reasonable light, basically saying that it's never been the case that someone specifically targeted cis white men's opinions but like that i mean it's just it's just the, the way it's first of all it's written shitty the whole letter is but it's just it's just not true like the whole point of like all these values of free speech and tolerance is that shit can go south really quickly and like during the cultural revolution in china that didn't involve white people but it involved like suddenly random people are being killed or shipped off or during stalin obviously during the holocaust like yeah but yeah. jesse jesse they were cis. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> right. Someone, someone close to me was has sort of been worried about like my role in all this online and and um, suggesting I stay off Twitter, which is very good advice. But he was like, I, I was worried about this letter, but then I read, and the most famous person on it was, and he, and he mentioned someone from like the Gawker diaspora, and I was like, sort of felt the same way. Like I didn't, I um, I expected certain people to be on there, but like I did not feel like this was um. I'm not particularly worried about this. It also, again, it's sort of insane that a letter with like some of the most important public intellectuals in the country, I'm not trying to be like whatever here, but they, they devoted more space to me than to anyone else. And in the process, they, they, they linked to medium posts I did that show sort of how crazy a couple of my enemies are. And I don't, I don't know what they're trying to, I mean, they obviously misrepresented my views on, on the stuff I'd written, but like, it was a weird letter, man. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of one of the funny things about the letter is that they criticized the original open letter, the Harper's open letter, um, for not being like specific enough in the particular examples that, that were, that were noted, which is a criticism a lot of people have. So they went ahead and, and, and like cataloged all of the examples themselves, um, and w complete with links, which I think was very generous. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to, um, like focus too much on the signatories of the letter because that was, it just, I don't think it really matters who signs the letter. And I don't like, I don't want to do this, the same thing that they were doing, which is just focused on the signatories. Although I will say, Noah Berlatsky did sign the letter. Huge shock there. Huge. His name probably doesn't mean much to most people who listen to this podcast, but for the people who are hyper online, it will mean something. Um, but I think the most interesting signatory of the letter was Carrie Greenidge, who ha was a signatory on the initial Harper's letter. Oh, she switched sides? She did. And then she... <laughs> So uh, we talked about this on, on the Patreon version, but she signed the initial letter. And then when there was a backlash about the letter, specifically because of signatories like J.K. Rowling and to a lesser extent, you and I, um, she disavowed the letter. And then her sisters, I think two of her sisters, for some reason, got involved and they were posting on Twitter that she that she hadn't actually agreed to sign the letter, that Harper's had published her name without permission. Yeah, they lied. And then so they lied. Yeah. And then so Harper's supplied some journalists have done reporting on this. The Daily Beast did a story on this, although they really kind of buried the lead. Um, and uh, Harper's or someone involved with the signing of the letter supplied the emails and she read it. She complimented it and she agreed to be on the letter. And then she has now disavowed the letter and signed this other letter complaining about free fucking speech. Traitor. Yeah, uh, I think that. The people who signed the letter going against our free speech stance should probably be arrested. What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just send them all to the gulag. Oh, man. Letter discourse, counter letter discourse. I'm so happy. It's only 2.47 p.m. My decision to keep myself off Twitter on this one, like, I, there's been, I could have just lost another day to this, but like, who the fuck cares? I would like to encourage you to get back on Twitter and have your way with it, Jesse. The more oh, you Jesus. get trending on Twitter, the better it is for a podcast. Actually, it would be better if the next time you're trending, it wasn't your name. It was just blocked and reported. Yeah, I'll try to, I'll, I'll tweet some really offensive stuff from the blocked and reported account. That would be really helpful. I'd appreciate it.
And then I can disavow the blocked and reported account um, and disavow you. And then I'll get back in my good standing with the quote unquote queer community. I, I will tweet like deeply bigoted hate speech along the lines of racism can be overcome with time and effort. And, um, biological males and females are different. Just stuff that like is basically right out of the mouth of Hitler because that'll get us yeah. attention. Hitler was a huge turf. Hitler was the original turf. We're like we're we are dangerously close to Hitler was a turf discourse like a like a Jezebel article that talks about Hitler being a turf without Jews coming up once. <laughs> next week okay. anna merlin if she still works there oh anna merlin signed the signed the, the second letter the response letter dude these of people, there's like such a sense of just like failing upward like just endlessly failing upward which i know they accuse us of because they think we've committed bad wrongs but like all our enemies should come on the podcast at once we'll do like a 16 person google hangout just have it out it'd be so fun. It, it'll be uh, we'll call that one the struggle session <laughs> letter discourse i love it also just to the average person, none of this means anything. So one last note about this. So a lot of the letter was about the threat to free speech coming from the left. Well, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, our dear leader, Donald Trump, tweeted the following this morning. Too many universities and school systems are about radical left in indoctrination, not education. Therefore, I am telling the Treasury Department to reexamine their tax status and or funding, which will be taken away if this propaganda or act against public policy continues. Our children must be educated, not indoctrinated. I would also just like to point out that like every other fucking word is capitalized here. So the education system, I don't know what fucking private schools he went to, but the education system definitely failed when it came to to grammar in his class. Um, This is a problem. This is bad. We do not support threats to free speech from either the left or the right. Katie, not so fast. We might disagree on this too. Look, what better way to promote free speech than to have the federal government investigate colleges for saying stuff that angers the president? This is the model of free speech we should aspire to. As we've said frequently, Blocked Report is a staunchly pro-Trump podcast. I don't think you should ruffle any feathers on this one. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on this one. I think that he should not be defunding colleges because of their gender studies programs. <laughs> As much as I hate gender studies programs, I don't think they should be defunded. They should be defunded for their philosophy programs, really. Given the low quality of our enemies and their, the likelihood they will under, not understand that I was just being sarcastic, I agree with you completely. This is classic Trump bullshit. He is the day that anyone thinks he is the solution to political correctness or free speech threats is insane, insane. I'm sure we'll talk about this more as the election approaches. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, screen capping someone on Twitter is both an awesome way to dunk on MAGA chud idiots and also a federal hate crime. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, stay tuned next week for the open letter about the open letter about the open letter.